Welcome to episode number 214 of the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping engineers and technical professionals with both their personal and professional development. In this episode, I will be talking to Bill Keen, founder and CEO of Keen Wealth Advisors, a fiduciary investment firm that focuses on retirement planning and investing for the engineering community nationwide. We're going to talk about retirement for engineers and everything around that, including a checklist that you can use to prepare yourself. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as an engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success and I've traveled the world helping engineers. And through this podcast, myself and my co-host, Chris Knutson, try to bring you information that can help you succeed in every episode. People had their doubts about this podcast taking off, but since inception, we've had over 2 million downloads and have been cited by Forbes as one of the top 15 most inspiring podcasts for professionals. Before I tell you a little bit more about our guest, Bill Keen, and this is kind of a rare finance episode, we've had some very popular episodes in the past on finance. We did one where we summarized Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which was well-received. And then we did another one on real estate investing for engineers. And so I'm hoping that this one has a similar reception to it because I think we do get stuck in our day-to-day and we don't think about the long-term retirement planning. So Bill's going to cover all that. I've received emails from many of our listeners interested in enrolling in the Engineering Management Accelerator online workshop, which is an online workshop focused around helping aspiring managers or young managers develop the people skills that engineers need to succeed in the industry. It's a series of live interactive webinars along with a project challenge. Now you can go to engineer2manager.com. That's engineer2manager.com. Our next live session will be in the beginning of 2020. However, you can sign up and take the on-demand module today. You can literally be going through the course in a matter of minutes by going to engineer to manager.com. If you're just an individual engineer signing up in the right sidebar, there's a button. Click the button, takes you to a page where you can register. Again, that's engineer to manager.com. Just want to let you know about that because I have been getting lots of questions about it. Also, most of our podcast episodes these days are also on YouTube. Just go to youtube.com forward slash engineering careers. In fact, this one with Bill is also on YouTube, along with many other podcast episodes and short weekly videos. All right, now on to our guest for today, Bill Keen. Bill's interest in the finances began at an early age when he was exposed to financial hardship in his own family. In fact, he told me that by age 10, he knew he'd have to learn to understand saving and investing to be able to really assist his family. As a founder and the CEO of Keen Wealth Advisors, Bill's desire really was to build one of the country's most personal and trusted fiduciary wealth and retirement advisory firms. Bill's got the heart of a teacher. His objective is really to bring financial and retirement literacy to those serious about planning for their future. And you'll see that because he makes a very special offer with his book at the end of this episode. His team has a unique specialty in advising those within the engineering community, which is why I asked him to come on here, including issues such as ESOPs, which he's going to talk about in a few moments, taxes, tax preparation, He's got a lot of information that can be helpful to engineers, including the checklist I mentioned earlier. He is the best-selling author of the book, Keen on Retirement, Engineering the Second Half of Your Life, which can be found on Amazon. 
He also co-hosts Keen on Retirement, a podcast designed to provide Keen Wealth Advisors, friends, and clients with an additional tool to stay informed and educated on key issues related to retirement planning and invested. And he is regularly asked to share his thinking with national media outlets such as U.S. News and World Report, Reuters, the World Street Journals, Market Watch, and Yahoo Finance. So we're just honored to have him on. And I'm going to bring you right into our conversation with a quote applicable to today's topic. The quote is from Dwight L. Moody. Preparation for old age should begin not later than one's teens. A life which is empty of purpose until 65 will not suddenly become filled on retirement. All right, now I'm excited to welcome our guest today, founder and CEO of Keen Wealth Advisors and author of Keen on Retirement, Engineering the Second Half of Your Life. Bill Keen, welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Thank you, Anthony. It's a true honor to be on the program with you today. So Bill, you have had a successful career in finance, and we're going to get into all of that, but let's start way back at the beginning. What kind of took you down your career road to get into finance? I know you had kind of a personal story that inspired you. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your journey? Anthony, I remember sitting on my father's couch when I was about 10 years old, waiting for the unemployment check to hit the mailbox. And we lived in a small, very small, 800 square foot apartment. And there was a lot of stress and anxiety that I internalized as a young boy. And I don't know that my kids have that type of feeling today. Of course, our life's much different than, than it was for me back then. But I think it was unusual for someone 10 or 11 years old to internalize the stress and anxiety around finances. But it was at that point that I really just desired to be able to take care of my father. And it's, whether that's a healthy thing or a codependent thing, whatever it was, it made me want to go out and learn how to be responsible how to understand finances, economics, the markets, and how to really essentially learn how to take care of my business so I could support my family in the later years of their lives. And uh, that has actually come out to, uh, to fruition. And I'm grateful for that journey. I wouldn't change anything in the journey at all. Yes, stress and anxiety, but it gave me a vision and a mission for my life. And I, again, one of the lucky young people that knew what they wanted to do from the time I was very young and pursued that finance degree in college and got out of school and started right into the industry as a young person. Now, Anthony, it was a little difficult. I share in the book this story that you mentioned, a little bit about the history. I say the first years of my career as a professional were like a cross between the first half of the original movie, Wall Street, before Bud Fox goes bad, and the entire movie called A Pursuit of Happiness. And if uh, our Folks that are watching this today haven't seen those movies, I'd say go back and take a look at those. But it was very difficult. I was a young guy from the Midwest, uh, Kansas City, Missouri, and I got hired at a firm called Dean Witter and was transported out into the World Trade Center in uh, the early 90s to do my training on the 83rd floor. And it was an uh, interesting time. That was when the Ryder truck had driven into uh, the parking garage of the World Trade Center and, and there was a bomb detonated. So it was an interesting time in New York at that time. But that's how I got my start, Anthony. No assets, no money, no family money, no influence. It was an interesting time. 
you've gone on to, of course, you know, build your company, Keen Wealth Advisors, and you've learned a lot about finance. You've written the book, which is, I enjoyed it. It's laid out very clearly, which I appreciate as someone who, who isn't educated in finance, so to speak. However, you do do a lot of work with engineers and engineering companies. So talk a little bit about how you got involved with that. We do. North of 60% of the families that we manage assets for and retirement plan for are engineers or employees of engineering firms. And here in Kansas City, it's kind of a hotbed for engineering firms. We have several major headquarters for firms and Many other firms have offices here in our local community. It was something that I didn't set out to do initially, Anthony, uh, was to specialize in the engineering community. But early on, I started coming across folks from these respective firms. And it forced me to learn about the details and the specifics of the engineering firm's retirement plans, their benefit packages, how the ownership structures of these firms worked and essentially how those folks think. When I go to industry conferences and I share with my colleagues, such as let's call it the Barron's Conference each year or many others, and I share with my colleagues that we specialize in engineers, they think I'm joking, Anthony. And I'm somewhat now, because I'm so, I have such a deep respect for engineers, and my son is also becoming an engineer as well. So, but I get a little bit offended when people think I'm joking that we specialize in engineers because a lot of financial advisors try to avoid engineers. They think that they're too detail-oriented or too smart or their standards are too high and that they would be too difficult to work with. And frankly, over the last, call it nearly three decades, I've found engineers to be the very some of the very best folks to work with. You have to operate to their higher standards, but I believe that's a wonderful thing. The other thing is a side product here is a lot of folks say, well, goodness, if you can work with engineers and meet their standards, you can work with anyone. So it doesn't preclude others from working with us, but it's a real honor to help and work with engineers. And we can get to some of the nuances that we've come across in that field as we progress here today. But uh, it is truly a privilege. All right, Bill. So let's get into some of those nuances of engineering. I know from my work with engineering firms and from talking with you offline a little bit, the ESOP is something that can be of real importance to engineers. For those listeners not familiar with an ESOP, you can explain what it is. And for those that maybe work for an ESOP, you can talk about maybe some of the benefits or some of the things that they should know. First off, an ESOP is basically an employee stock ownership plan and is very common in the engineering community, in the construction in industry as well as architecture. And it simply means that the employees own the firm. It's not a, typically a publicly traded company, so you can't follow the stock prices on the Dow Jones or the NASDAQ or the S&P each day. They're privately held firms, of which the in most cases, somewhere north of 50% and all the way up to 100% of the firm is owned by the employees. From a cultural standpoint, Imagine the decision-making for each and every team member in some of these very large firms and some small firms as well. Everyone is thinking like an owner, and it can be very powerful. On the other side of it, though, it's let's think about, as an employee owner, the effects that that would have on our family's wealth and some of the concentration of how we are relying now on our employer for our livelihood. So we would have things such as our salary, which is kind of an obvious one, 
we're relying on our income day to day from our employer, but we're over time now building the majority of our wealth or a large chunk of it in that very same firm's privately held securities. So it's something to be concerned about and thoughtful about and to understand. That's the key to it. Understand how these things work. Another way we're concentrated on that very same company is, of course, our health benefits. We've got health benefits tied to that company, our income, and a good portion as time evolves of our wealth. So I think that would encourage anyone that has access to these plans. And in most cases, if you work for one of these firms and you qualify to participate, you will receive your shares without making any contributions of your own, which is, again, yet a very powerful nuance to these plans. But understanding what point in time you can start to diversify some of the holdings is an important concept. Typically, it's around age 50 that these firms will allow you, based on some of the ERISA regulations regarding diversification, it will allow you to start to diversify some of your holdings without having to leave the company. In some cases, folks had to leave their companies to diversify their holdings. But with ERISA, there's some rules around diversification. It's important to understand that. Also, what to think about when you're separating from service. What are the rules and requirements around can you diversify when you leave or do you have to diversify potentially? A lot of these firms, Anthony, have said we love our structure of employee ownership, but we would prefer current employees own the securities as opposed to retired ones. We want the folks that are in the trenches doing the work currently to be the owners and the beneficiaries of those shares. So a lot of these firms are forcing folks to sell those securities upon retirement or shortly thereafter. And then finally, the pricing of the security. Many of these stocks and securities are priced either only once per year or potentially maybe once a quarter. And then the liquidation of these securities could be once monthly. Again, could be even once a year. So there's a lot of planning that comes around. When can I liquefy my shares, especially if you're in a retirement or uh, maybe you've changed jobs and you're needing to access some of this capital. The theme here is it's super important to understand the details of how it works or find someone that can explain it to you. Because I think ESOP to me immediately sounds great. Yes. I could be, you know, 35 years old and I can be working for an ESOP and I can be an owner of the company and not have to wait till I'm a lot older. However, on the flip side, as you said, you're also then an owner. So some of the risks that owners take on, you're now taking on. That's correct. And it's interesting. I mean, we think about it as far as publicly traded uh, securities work, and there are some very large engineering and construction firms that do trade publicly. So they've made the decision to do what we call go public, raise capital and have shareholders from all over the world, essentially, where the securities trade daily on the exchanges. And if you have all your money in those securities as well, you still have some of that diversification or under diversification risk. But it's especially, we see it prevalent in these privately held ESOP plans, for sure. Let's transition a little bit here. I know being an engineer myself, we like checklists and any way that we can kind of run through things smoothly and efficiently. And I know that you have checklist-driven process for the three important phases of retirement planning. And we have a lot of listeners out there that I'm sure that some of them are in different stages of retirement planning, and maybe some of them haven't done a lot of planning. So I'd love for you to be able to walk through those different steps just to kind of Give our listeners some framework or kind of blueprint that they can think about for retirement planning. 
it certainly can feel somewhat daunting to even begin this process. And so many of our clients that we advise have been diligent, they're savers by nature, they're thoughtful, they're process-oriented. It takes a ton to just get through engineering school, you know that, to get your credentials, to be able to practice. You have the characteristics for success, you've already instilled those to even get into the engineering community. But the idea of saying, let's look at our own financial life and your family's financial life as if it were a project. Project manage your own financial life. And that requires some real thought and some real discernment. I will tell you, a lot of the very successful engineers that we coach and counsel today don't start to think about it. They're on professional autopilot out until their 50s or mid-50s. And they start, they look up and they say, my goodness, these numbers on these papers that we've been watching all these years, which was our retirement accounts, this is now becoming real to us. We're starting to see that at some point in time, we might be able to stop working if we want to and be independently wealthy, which is a pinch yourself moment for a lot of us. A lot of folks are like me. They started out with nothing and they've had to live within their means and grateful, humble people on a journey. And it's sometimes you have to kind of take a step back and say, wow, I put myself into a position where I can retire even at some point in the future. The three pieces to it are first the planning. And I know that every project that's done in the engineering community has to start with a deep set of blueprints, a deep plan, heck, even take it back a step. We can't even bid on a project without the understanding all of the inputs and the levers that have to be evaluated. So there's a lot of work that goes into the vision of the plan. Where do we want to go? And I work with, again, very disciplined and smart process-driven engineers Unfortunately, a lot of them have failed to focus on their own lives, again, as if it were a project. So really getting out ahead of it and thinking forward. So that plan starts with, in the book, I walk through a a strategy, an exercise called a vision board, where we sit down and we look at either on a whiteboard or a piece of paper, where we will be in three, five, 10, and 20 years. We put it atop the page and across the bottom left side of the page or the column to the left is where ourselves, our spouse, and each of our kids, if we are married and have kids, what our ages will be at each of those uh, points in time. And it's an interesting vision exercise because I'm 50 now, Anthony. And frankly, I don't really want to think about being 70 right now. But the reality is, I hope I am 70 at some point. And I want to be intentional about what life looks like when I'm 70. And I want to be able to look out there and think about the things that are important to me Numbers are very important, but it's not just about the numbers. It's about health. It's about relationship. It's about spirit life, emotional life. And again, when we're in the the grind of the day, most engineers are not working 40 hours a week. Most engineers are working 60 to 70. It's not until they go part-time toward the end of their career that they finally work 40 hours a week. You probably have some experience with that, but the plan is so important. The plan encompasses the vision for the future because you don't know where you're going, you can't reverse engineer things. And then it goes into things like how much money are we saving depending on where we are in the trajectory of our career, our proactive tax planning. A lot of folks confuse tax preparation with tax planning. And to be very clear, tax preparation is reporting history to the IRS. Tax planning is getting out in front of the things 
that we need to think about that will affect our taxes one, two, three, five, maybe 10 years and beyond. So it's really important to get thoughtful of those tax measures before the year is over. Many things like Roth conversions, charitable giving, many others have to be done in the year of the tax year, not come tax season. By that point, it's too late. There's things like social security planning, wills and trusts. What will we spend in retirement? This is a lever that is so important to understand and get out ahead of. So the spending plan is something we could do a whole episode on here because that is a lever that is will determine a potential retirement date and longevity and how long does this project need to last with what amount of income that we need to produce. The second piece to it is the engine to the plan or the power plant. You know, I'm a pilot. We shared about that offline. I talk a lot about flight planning and relating that to either engineering a project or engineering a flight. And we could have engineered and planned the very best project or flight. If the engine fails midair or I haven't made turret and maintained that engine appropriately, we've got a problem. So the planning is important, but the engine that's going to get us there is the investments when it comes to financial and retirement planning. And it's different for folks that are in the accumulation stage than it is for folks that are now withdrawing money in retirement that are needing to understand how market corrections work, understand how long-term wealth building works, and really get out in front of an allocation that will get you to your destination, but that you can also sleep at night through. And that speaks into that third section that you asked me about. And the whole, there's a whole, the back third of my book talks about the emotional, the psychology, and the social aspect to being retired. It's a whole topic that most people don't think about until they're out in it. And it's important to understand. And it's that sleep at night factor. If you're married, it's got to be aligned with both spouses. And in fact, in that third chapter where I talk about having something to retire to, not just retire from, Anthony, it's so important. Most of the engineers I work with, their, their identity is tied up in the wonderful work they've been doing in this country and around the world. And the next thing you know, you're home with your spouse if you're married and you have a lot of time on your hands. And it's so important to get ahead of that a few years in advance and think about what your days will look like from a social aspect, from the relational aspect with your, your spouse and getting down into that rhythm that will really work. There's a section in there about gray divorce. And just imagine you worked hard, you lived all these years, you got your, your asset base where you needed it. And then your relationships have uh, suffered because you hadn't thought through some of these things. So we can dig deeper in any of those as you will, but those are the three that we see as so important to be all coordinated and thought through and then fine-tuned as life happens. One of the reasons that I wanted to have Bill come on the podcast is because for exactly what he's saying I found to be true and is that as engineers were knee-deep in engineering projects for how many hours a week, for how many years, and I think engineers do tend to neglect their own personal well-being, finance, physical fitness, whatever gets pushed aside to work on those projects. Based on reading through Bill's book and my discussions leading up to this with him, I know that it's all about planning. Just like engineering projects, as Bill alluded to, you need to take time out for your own planning. And that's why I really enjoyed Bill's strategies, his content, is because it's very, again, checklist-driven, which he just walked through those three steps with you. A lot of engineers that I know, their retirement planning is, I have a 401k. Right. And that's fine. However, based on your steps that you just laid out, having a 401k may be one of the engines, but you don't want to skip that 
planning and blueprint step because maybe you have some plans in mind and your 401k isn't going to cut it for those plans. That's right. One of the fallacies that I see too with some of these ESOP plans is that I, you might have heard me say earlier, in a good portion of the cases, the shares are given to you. You earn shares each year that you work and as you vest out. I see folks not even contributing to their 401k plans because they're kind of relying on the ESOP plan to play out. And we definitely want to see people maximizing their 401ks. This is a tax decision as much as it is an investment decision, but understanding what the company will match and maximizing that and then not stopping there, really thinking about how much can we put into these things and hopefully seriously early in your career, adjusting your lifestyle so that, you know, do we want you to scrimp and, and scrounge and scratch to get by? We do not. We know that we need to live each day to the fullest, but really getting things set up so that things are automated and that as much as you possibly can is going toward your retirement and your future. That being said, there are also ways to save money in Roth IRA accounts. It might even make sense inside your 401k, depending on your income levels, to use the Roth 401k uh, sleeve inside your plan, but then also Roth IRAs outside your 401k, and then saving money that's what we call after taxes. So this is money that you can get your hands on. This is money that is liquid that you can get to before you're 59 and a half. And that is something that's important to build up a pool outside of your retirement accounts as well. Some of it very well may be long-term money, but some of it, especially if you're on the front end of your career, will be to buy that house or to buy that car and hopefully stay out of consumer debt while you're doing it. One thing we always recommend for anyone at any age is to have at least six months of your living expenses over at your local bank, getting whatever bad rate that we're getting right now on demand deposits under 1% more than likely, but at least you have that money there so you're able to grab it if you have an issue and you're not mired with uh, consumer debt if uh, something comes up that's a problem. Really understanding the asset allocation and understanding why you're doing what you're doing with your combination of cash, emergency reserve, fixed income, which is considered, or bonds, and then equities, which is considered stocks and maybe some ownership or equity in your home. Really being thoughtful of that throughout all stages of your career is key in this process. For sure. Once again, we're talking with uh, Bill Keen, author of Keen on Retirement, Engineering the Second Half of Your Life. And we covered quite a bit here. We talked a little bit about ESOPs, which is something that's important to a lot of our listeners. Bill walked through his three-step checklist in terms of thinking about your retirement and how you can be where you really want to be in the future. And that's all in his book, again, Keen on Retirement. What we're going to do now is we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to wrap up with Bill in our Take Action Today segment, and he's going to give us a little story to emphasize how we need to be careful of shortcuts. So stick around, and we'll be right back with that. Now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show, and this is the part of the episode where we try to wrap up the episode kind of leave you with a thought or action that you can take and implement immediately to take action and make progress in your career. Now, before I do that, I do want to just remind you, as I mentioned earlier, the next session of our Engineering Management Accelerator online workshop, which is a, a program that we give online for aspiring engineering managers or young engineering managers. It's over five weeks, but it's about one to two hours of work per week. So it's not a lot of time commitment 
but it can give you an amazing foundation in some of the management skills that you really need to learn to be effective as an engineering manager, including communication with your clients and team members, networking and building relationships, how to build expertise and leverage tools like LinkedIn and also improve your public speaking skills, productivity and billability, and also high leverage leadership in the art of delegation. If you're interested, go to engineer2manager, that's engineer2manager.com to check out the details. We've been doing it for years now. You could see the feedback from many of our participants there. You can actually sign up today and do it on demand and go through the entire thing. All right, we're back with Bill Keen, author of Keen on Retirement. And we talked a lot about retirement, of course, in this episode, but we're going to end up with a talking a little bit about the tragic story of the last flight of JFK Jr. Bill, in addition to being a wealth advisor, is also a pilot. And so I know you want to share this story because there's a lesson that can be learned here, Bill. Well, it's important enough to me to share and to talk about. I did include this very story at the end of the book, Keen on Retirement Engineering, Your Second Half of Your Life, because it's so impactful. And it's impactful for a couple of reasons, one of which we all know how that tragic last flight ended. And I'm a continuous learner. When it comes to the financial world, I want to see the reasons people succeed. And then I want to also be a student of the reasons people don't succeed. And we want to learn from those things. And as a pilot, we realize there might be a situation that we have one shot up in the air. It is truly life or death. And I bring that same thinking to the financial planning process. There's a lot of things that can be accurately compared to the flight planning process and the financial planning process. When you are flying, Anthony, on a clear weather day, you're up in the air and you can see the horizon. Life is pretty good. You're on what's called a VFR day or visual flight rule day. And you don't even really have to be talking to air traffic control. If you're staying out of the big airplanes, airspaces, you can do what you want to do whenever you want to do it, as long as you follow the rules. But when you get into a cloud or you're at night in haze and you lose reference to the horizon, things become vastly different. You are now in what's called IMC or Instrument Meteorological Conditions. Imagine driving down the highway in your car at 70 miles an hour. And all of a sudden, your windows frost over. You can't see anything now driving down the highway in traffic. Now, this is before Tesla, okay? (laughs) Maybe Tesla will fix this for us. But if you think of that situation, it would be impossible to navigate. Well, we navigate it all the time up in the air. Airplanes consistently fly across the country in clouds with zero visibility. But it's very, very important that you are trained to fly by your instruments. And there's several very important instruments. They're all important. But the one we focus on today is what we call the artificial horizon. We can't see the real horizon, so we need an artificial horizon. And that is truly a lifesaver when you're flying in those conditions. Now, there's fluid in your inner ear. And you say, why is this so hard to keep the plane straight and level if you go into a cloud? Well, the fluid in your inner ear, not to go too deep here in this reasoning, but it's off balance. It's moving. It's slightly behind reality. And that fluid is what determines our balance. And when you're up in the air with the different axes in an airplane, much like getting sick on a boat for folks who get motion sickness, you're getting information that feels 
different than what reality is. You might think you're turning to the left. The airplane is physically really turning to the right. So you correct what you think is a left turn. And within a couple of seconds, you're in a spiral and you don't know how to get out of it. I'm an instrument rated pilot. I fly in the flight levels and I stay very proficient and I stay very current because I realize how serious this is. JFK Jr. was not instrument rated and he flew as a VFR pilot. He was leaving his airport to go to Martha's Vineyard that night with his wife and her sister. They were supposed to have left in the afternoon while daylight. They ended up getting held up. Some stress had ensued. And by the way, he also had a injury and was wearing a cast on his leg that night. Now, instead of postponing the flight and going the next day during the daytime, he decided to take off at dusk to get to Martha's Vineyard. And it's not a very long flight. It's, I believe, about an hour flight. He departed that night with his wife and sister in the back. And typically, he would go up the coast so that he could see reference to the ground via lights on the ground along the coast. In the U.S., you are allowed to fly, if you're not instrument rated, at night as long as you can see the ground through moonlight or reference to the horizon through lights. In Europe, you're not allowed to fly at night without your instrument rating, which kind of makes sense to me, actually. This evening, he decided to cut out over the ocean to save about 15 minutes by my calculation. And when he got out over the ocean, he hits haze. It's been reported. He lost control of the airplane, and within seconds, it's believed that he was upside down and didn't even know it. And when he pulled back on the yoke to gain altitude, he flew the plane into the ocean. Now, that was something that happened 20 years ago. Interesting to think how long that's been already, but it's something I believe we can really learn from. We have to have the training. We have to have the proficiency. And when things don't go our way, we need to be able to be nimble to make decisions, to not have what we call get-there-itis in aviation. In investing, we say, oh, well, maybe we're a little bit behind where we thought we should be in investing. Let's not put all of our money in the hot new stock of the day or uh, potentially Bitcoin or you name it, not picking on Bitcoin. I'm just saying there's, let's take a breath and let's look at what the most viable and productive thing to do is and not get out of ahead of ourselves and try to take shortcuts, which could ultimately lead to a further detriment. There's a lot of lessons to be learned from that tragic last flight. And uh, I would just simply say, when it comes to retirement planning, I take it as seriously as I take a flight plan. I do believe mistakes can be life or death, whether it's an emotional mistake or a numbers mistake, lack of diversity mistake. There are many, many things to be thinking about. And uh, I want folks to just do what most engineers have done that I've seen and worked with, and that's just take responsibility, be continuous learners want to understand this and give yourself, your own family's financial plan, the focus that it deserves, just like you're doing in your careers that got you to where you are today in career, make sure that you don't forget to plan for yourself as you think about things. And don't feel guilty about wanting to create a future for yourself that is impactful and inspiring. That's great, Bill. And it is a lesson that we can't take shortcuts really in anything, especially, of course, engineering projects, retirement, all these things are really important things that require planning, preparation, execution. And I was hoping by having Bill on that you can have some strategies now to think through your retirement, do some planning, to pick up his book, Keen on Retirement, Engineering the Second Half of Your Life, which is on Amazon that can help you. And also, Bill, I believe that you have an article that you've published 
keenonretirement.com forward slash engineers that talks a little bit about your work that you do with engineers. And, and I believe our listeners can get a, a strategy session with you as well. Is that right? That is correct. There's a blog out. I said, why we love working with engineers at Keen Wealth Advisors. And we do offer for anyone in the engineering community, a strategy session with one of our financial planners. And um, we would be honored to do that. We do that at no cost or obligation. I want to create a, a resource for folks to come into where they feel no pressure. They get objective advice from a fiduciary advisor with no obligation to do anything else. It had a lot of impact putting out there for the engineering community. So I would encourage folks to take us up on that. Anthony, I also wanted to make another offer to your listeners and the folks on this that follow your work. It's important to me to provide the financial and retirement literacy out there, to especially to this audience, because I'm so honored the work that, that the engineering community is doing in our country and in the world. Anybody would like to receive a copy of Keen on Retirement, Engineering the Second Half of Your Life, personalized by me. I always write a little note in there for folks. Send me an email at bkeen at keenwealthadvisors.com, and I will send one to you personalized as my gift to you for being a follower of, of Anthony's work. It was on my heart. I had an inspiration to make that offer to you today, and I just wanted to follow through with that, Anthony. So hit me up on it. That's great, Bill. Thank you for doing that for the listeners. Appreciate the offer. And thanks for spending the time with us and sharing your knowledge and really appreciate it. And I hope that our listeners out there will take Bill's advice and do some serious planning so that you're not an engineer who's 60 years old, retiring, saying, man, I wish I would have thought about this sooner. So Bill, thanks again for being a guest on the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. You're welcome, Anthony. The pleasure to be on with you today. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's interview with Bill Keen. It certainly made me think about my own retirement planning, and I'm going to revisit his three-step checklist and go back to step number one and do some of that big picture brainstorming blueprinting. I think we should all do that from time to time. I also want to just reinforce what I said earlier. We do have our Engineering Management Accelerator online workshop available to you at engineer2manager.com. You can start anytime with our on-demand course. We also have a live session coming up in early 2020. And for those of you out there that might be responsible for the training of your aspiring or young managers in your engineering firm, we are also going to be rolling out an on-demand version, an on-demand corporate version. You can have 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 managers in your company go through the on-demand interactive session of the Engineering Management Accelerator Workshop, meaning it'll all be done on your own pace, online with quizzes and interaction to make sure that your managers are learning and developing the critical people skills that they need. We'd love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions on today's episode. Go to engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Look for episode 214 of the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in the episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. And please don't forget to reach out through the website with any topics you'd like to hear us talk about. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering career endeavors. The strategies that you heard in this episode will be of no use to you unless you take action and start to implement them in your career immediately. To help you do that, we have designed a system that you can use at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. It combines live monthly webinars with PDHs, plus a private forum giving you access to coaches and premium content focused on helping you build your management and leadership skills. 
Join us for our next live webinar at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org and we'll help you engineer your own success.